Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Good morning. Thank you for joining us for the KSL Greenhouse. Maria Shaleos, Tan Bettis with you this morning. We are taking your calls at 801-575-8255. You can also text us your questions at 57500. Tan RJ is on the line. He's in Clearfield or she's in Clearfield. I'm not sure which. I'm not sure why I thought RJ is a he, but good morning. And how can we help you this morning? Yeah, I'm a he. Hi, Um, RJ. (laughs) Okay. That came um, out, yeah, and I just so, thought, wow, that was an assumption I probably shouldn't make. <laughs> um, so I was living out in California working as a nurseryman in 92, and I remember the hard frost we had out there. You know, got down to about, oh, 28 or so. But quite a few of your mature trees did survive. They had to be pruned back quite a bit, of course, but they did come back. So I'm thinking the citrus here should make a go, but if it's in the right spot with some with some heat, if they can kind of mimic, you know, Visalia and Fresno area where they get the, are kind of protected there from the winds, I think they should have that, you know, good chance of getting them to go. So you're thinking maybe some sort of covered area or on which protected side? From the, yeah, protected so they don't get the sharp frost if they, because they will take some cold. I mean, average cold there, Modesto, you get down to 42 and smoggy, but. Where most of your oranges grow, kind of I sell you down through there, they get kind of protection, you know, from the coast. The warm air comes through, you know, in the orange belt. Yeah, but, and yeah. we're talking the the types of citrus that Malie mentioned are not the California varieties. They will, even in St. George, they need to have in the winter some sort of protection over them. And so these are very unique varieties that are being tried out that are not going to be Meyer lemon or the blood orange or things of that nature. So yes, if they do try them here, these are the lesser known, more hardier, and they may even be in a different genus, but closer related. Yeah. So RJ, what, what varieties are you thinking might do okay here? I think when your lemons out of of all of them are going to be the ones that probably have the best chance. And was it, but there are a lot of specific varieties though. Well, my Myers or, um, Myers or um, even the lime quats, those, those uh, weathered the hard freeze, which is very unusual down there. Those seem to weather it the best. All right. And oranges suffered, suffered more of the damage. All right. RJ, thanks for your call this morning. But you're saying, Tom, that those specific lemons that um, Malie was talking about at the top of the hour, they're, they're not going to do well outside. Well, the ones she was talking about, no. The critical temperature on lemons 
grapefruits and things are is around 15 degrees. You know, they will take a lot of damage, but at 15 degrees, they're dead. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we have areas that may not get a below 15, even on the Wasatch Front, you know, up in the avenues and a few things, but they can't handle sustained temperatures in the 30s and 40s with 15 to 20 every night. That will kill them longer term. And so even in Las Vegas and St. George, they don't grow citrus because they do get below those critical temperatures. And if you wanted to do it, you would need almost like an unheated cold frame or some sort of protection on those trees so that they wouldn't freeze continuously. And so these are, you know, in California and some of the, so the hardiest citrus that's commonly grown are the mandarin oranges. Uh, They will tolerate uh, the Louisiana area, uh, Orange Beach, Alabama, about the farthest north that they're commonly grown and they're using some different techniques. But if you're growing the citrus Malie was referring to are not the California, Texas and Florida varieties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you are even planning to do some of the hardier varieties, you're going to have to be willing to experiment and willing to fail. It sounds yes, like. it really does because there's one type of citrus I mentioned with Malie called pond cyrus. Uh-huh that is closely enough related that it can be grafted onto citrus root used as a rootstock. And those will, they're hardy to about zero to 10 above zero. And so there are a few people around that have those, but when they're talking about like use the orange, you know, zero to 10, zero to 15, they're still probably going, probably going to need quite a bit of protection and it's one of those things that you'd better be willing to lose the plant to see if you can get it to go. Yeah. Uh, many of us have those kind of pop-out windows in our house in the garage that you could actually put plant. That's where I put my plants in the winter. Mine faces west, so they get lots of nice sunshine. Would something like that work in a space like that? It may. You know, if you had dwarf citrus and if your draw- garage was 55 or 60 during the day and then above 40 at night, that would be some place that the citrus would do okay. Mm, interesting. It may be a bit cold, but they would survive. Okay. Next person says, uh, where do you buy a lemon tree? Uh, most major, like bigger garden centers, so cactus and tropicals, western gardens, if they're still around. Um think they are just haven't been in there for a while the uh well they closed the one that was by trolley square yeah and that's the one i used to go to and they closed the one in sandy so they may not be around anymore but um j and j nursery up in layton carries them home depot sometimes has them you can order them online but locally i would check out some of the garden centers like cactus and tropicals or J&J, because they will have Myers Lemon, Calamond and Orange, you know, and other varieties. And it's hit and miss a little bit, and the varieties are a little hit and miss, but you can find them. Andy from J&J was here for our give and he was saying that their supply of trees is going to be much better this year. Um, I was saying I need some, I need quite a few trees and uh, bushes for my new landscape. And he said, yeah, well, our supply should be really good this year. Good. So just good to know. Um, before we take a break, uh, Kent in Bountiful wants to know why the leaves still aren't falling from his apple, cherry, flowering pear, and scrub oak trees. We will cover that when we come back, I guess. Okay, you think that's going to take some time. 
Number to call with your questions, 801-575-8255. You can text us, 57500. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately... We're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning. Thank you for joining us for the KSL Greenhouse. Maria and Ton with you. We're taking your calls. Phone lines are open right now, 801-575-8255. You can also text us your questions at 57500. For the break, I was saying, Ton, there are still people that are concerned, including Kent in Bountiful, that the leaves still aren't falling off things like their apple and flowering pear and scrub oak trees. And they... It just is, seems concerning. It's winter, right? You expect those trees to be bare, and is there something wrong with them? There's nothing really wrong, and as much as I would like to blame, like, demons or something, it's just that we were, even through November, in the 60s, you know, 50s, 60s through October, November. I think we had the second warmest November on record, but when the weather changed, it might have been second warmest October, but we went from too warm for the trees to drop leaves to too cold. And when leaves drop from a plant, whether it's a shrub or a tree, even some perennials, they actually need about a three to six week period of time when temperatures start to gradually decline. And also the other factor that is always here, but diminishing daylight also triggers trees to start this process, but you have to have both. And so we were too warm. And so, you know, usually we start to see yellow leaves on trees in the valleys in late September to early October, right after the fair, usually Mm -hmm. the state fair. And we didn't, didn't have it this year. So when we got cold, those trees were tricked by mother nature into not going through the physiological process of pulling everything out of those leaves that they can store in the roots and then forming what's called an abscission layer of the, where the leaf connects to the branch. And that abscission layer actually is a physical process that the tree goes through to shed those leaves so that they can get everything they can out of the leaves. And that's why they're turning orange and yellow and things as they're drying down uh, nutrients and things out of the leaves. And then they're also, some of those are breaking down. And so when we go from the sixties and seventies to the forties and thirties, and then into the twenties there in a short period of time, you will see trees, especially like some of the maples from flowering pears. I've seen a smattering of other trees, but the two that I've seen most of are maple and flowering pear. 
I think they'll be okay. If you do get wet snow and the trees are small enough, you may need to knock the snow out of the tree. Even with a leaf blower, if you can't reach, a leaf blower actually is really good for that. You get snow all over you, but it does work. And it needs to be kind of a powerful leaf blower. But it's just one of those things that we went from warm to cold too quickly and the trees didn't have time to actually shed their leaves. Right. So not necessarily a problem right now unless you get that heavy snow that could impact the branches. But my question would be long term, like if we continue to see things like this where these trees aren't going through um, the proper things that they need to go through to finish off their season, is it going to impact them in future seasons? Like in the spring, are these trees going to be, you know, less hardy just as a result of this? Well, most of the time, the trees, you know, they they took a little bit of a hit because those leaves are still on there and they didn't get all the nutrients out of the leaves that they needed. But they a healthy tree has enough energy, you know, just for lack of a better term, it's really not scientific, <laughs> but they have enough in their roots that they'll be fine. You know, this has happened uh, suddenly I, over the last six years, I think, in three of the six years. But the other two times it happened, we had really sudden hard frost in late September or early October, and the trees went from 70-degree weather down to the teens. And in both situations, almost everything came out normally. There were a few uh, honey locusts seemed to suffer a little bit. The uh, prairie fire crab apples seemed to... But, you know, 90% of the trees were fine. And so I suspect we'll be okay. The trees plan for the future, and they have secondary buds and even tertiary buds, and then even beyond that... And so even if the leaf buds were damaged that would have produced those primary leaves, they have backups. They, have, they plan for the future, They Tom? do. They do. <laughs> I love that. Uh, one of our listeners wants us to know that Western Gardens is still in Salt Lake City and in West Valley. So Good. Even, the two that, even though the two in my area are not there anymore, there are other Western Garden Centers. Uh, did you, do you know the tree in Disneyland? Have you been to Disneyland lately, Tom? It's been ten years. It's an it's in the Alice in Wonderland ride line with a smooth gray trunk. It's a smooth gray trunk. How many trees have a smooth gray trunk? No idea. I mean, just Too to throw many? something out, it could be a eucalyptus. Mm-hmm. We Southern California, there's several species of eucalyptus that are planted they have a there. Smooth gray trunk. They do, but. That's my best guess. Yeah. I am hoping that our weather is, the trend of our weather is going to like improve our gardening for next year because we've kind of had a consistent series of storms, like not every single day, but every few days. And if that trend continues, uh, that could really help us out next year. It really could. Right now we're around 130 to 150% of normal over most of the state. And this is excellent. It may fill up the reservoirs a bit, but we're so short on water as far as groundwater that every time we get a storm, you know, imagine if you had a five-gallon bucket and you needed that bucket to be full. And we keep using the water and keep using water and you're down to a, a half a gallon. Somebody walks past and put, puts a quart of water in there. Mm -hmm. helped a bit, but it didn't fill it up. And that's kind of the situation we're in 
to where we are going to need average or above average moisture for four to five years to get us to where we really need to be. Yeah, it's really important to mention this because people are planning what they're going to plant next year. Yes. They are planning to do more water-wise landscaping. And, uh, you know, sometimes I just fear they start seeing all these storms and I think, well, maybe I don't have to do that. Is we, you need to look at the long term and what the projections are, are that we still will get wet years. But what will happen is that the dry years will be more frequent and so it's not that when you go into a drought, you just imagine you're in the Sahara and, you know, there's vultures over your head. We're not going that direction and it would take a long time. But what will happen is that the years like this, if we continue to be 150% of average, will become less common and the years with 60% of average will become more common. And so that's kind of the drought we're looking at. And so if you look at a 10-year in the future, 50 years in the future, if projections hold, that's the how things are going to be. Yeah. For someone like me who's planning like major landscaping, re-landscaping to put in more water-wise things, not just because um, I want to be more water-wise because my yard really is at that stage where it needs to be done. But, you know, I'm going to spend a lot of money. And I don't want to spend my money on a lot of water-wise plants. And then two years down the road, we go, oh, now they're not going to thrive because there's too much water. Yeah. That's not going to Fortunately, happen, right? we are dry enough that even when we have a lot of moisture for us, we're still dry enough that they'll be fine. Right. Because we still live in a desert. We do. And, you know, we're in sagebrush country. And if we all of a sudden started to see forest pop up instead of sagebrush, mm -hmm. that's when you know that the climate has truly changed. I'm going to say that's going to probably be beyond my life cycle. Yes. <laughs> right? Yeah. We won't. With the Rocky Mountains and the California Mountains sitting how they are, that will not happen. Mm-hmm. Our next listener would like to know, Ton, best way to transplant a small potted bamboo plant into a larger pot? Well, hopefully it's in a pot that you can get it out. And bamboos are pretty resilient. And so if you can't get it out, if say if it's in a clay pot or porcelain, you may need to shatter the pot mm -hmm. to get it out. Or... If it's in a bucket that you can't pull it out of, you can get a carpet knife from just like a utility knife and cut the sides of the pot to get it off. Mm -hmm. But other than that, you you might score the roots just a quarter of an inch on three or four sides going down. And then when you put it into the new pot, put soil on the bottom and then put the bamboo in so that it's about the same level it was in the other pot and then just fill around the sides okay. and you're using new potting soil. Okay. Uh, one of our listeners uh, sent us a, a link for the person who was wondering about that tree at Disneyland. Do you know what? There's actually a website where you can search Disneyland trees and you may be more successful at trying to find the tree that you're looking for on that website. Thank you. Disneyland trees. And then it's a really long you know, but when you search, you'll be, you should be able to find that. We need to take a break for the top of the hour news. When we come back, Ton, we are, what are we talking about at the top of the hour? We are going to have JD on talking about plants for outdoors that add winter interest to the yard. Yeah, there's nothing like that bare landscape. So stay with us for that conversation. Number to call with your questions, 801-575-8255. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden they all kind of lined up. 
they pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.